Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. And I'm Simone Malaz with Restore or Retreat. We're also talking a little bit about world politics. Exactly. And by world politics, we mainly mean um, Megxit and the <laughs> British royal family. And right. If you're curious at all about what we're talking about during the break or behind the show, that's that's all really all you, you need to know. It's amazing the topics that we cover during the breaks. I say this all the time. That's a whole nother side episode, a whole nother reality show, if you will. We could launch a podcast that's commenting on The Crown <sighs> um, and, you know, relevant events related Absolutely. to it. So Absolutely. And you did see Olivia Coleman won the Golden Globe oh, I didn't for know that. Best I Actress see- oh. for The Crown, which... You know, I have know. British blood, yes. Yeah, I do. Yes. I do know that. Mm-hmm. Um, My grandma used to have the little um, Lady Diana and Prince Charles teacups in her cupboard. You, you don't have them still? Um, I will not name who received Ooh, those. Okay. Yes. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, anyway, so that is the topic. They have a coast over behind there. Behind <laughs> the scenes um, uh, for the show. But we've got a lot to catch up on. It's our we first do. show of 2020. Welcome Woo-hoo. back. 2020. This is 2020. (laughs) (laughs) I've enjoyed all those. Those are pretty funny. Exactly. Did you have a good break? I did. It was nice, enjoyable, very long in a lot of respects. But the beginning of this year is just so crazy already. Very fast start. So much going on. They had annual plan meetings starting on Monday of this week here in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. They were in Homa on Tuesday. Victoria, who works for Restore Retreat, spoke. Uh, Hallie wrote a great article, uh, Hallie Parker in the Homa Courier, about some of the topics mm-hmm. that were covered. And then just Zoom. It's off. Right. I saw uh, New Orleans was at the Lakefront Airport. Mm-hmm. Then it was in Homa. Then yep. they were in Lake Charles. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's no rest for the no. coast. Next week is, I think, a Chafalaya Basin. Um, some of the, There's an inauguration on oh, Monday, yeah. Oh, yeah. Of, among many, many, many other things happening on Monday. And a national championship <laughs> football game. The um, There will be some clarity in the committees for the Louisiana mm-hmm. legislature. They start their own orientation. It's just like seriously off to the races. We're in it. Yeah, 2020 is just like, yeah. we're here. this is 2020. I am here. We're here and we're <laughs> ready to go. Well, you know, that's great because there will be no shortage of topics no. um, to talk about and guests to have on. Um, you know, there's one story. I mean, this isn't related to the annual plan or anything, but um, I, I saw that you liked it. Um, and I saw the, the story today that was in The Hill about the nuns, the uh-huh. Order of St. Joseph that owned a monastery and property and out in Gentilly. Boy, in a Clarion Herald, front page news about the nuns. I love, like, that's the little Catholic newspaper. Mm-hmm. If you I know. love the Clarion Herald. I used to read it all the time. Um, full spread on on the nuns and, and their work there. And, and I love that story. We should have the nuns on. I know. I, well, I was thinking about that. I was like, I would love mm-hmm. to have them on if you're listening um, mm-hmm. or know anyone who, who has a connection. But they're turning their monastery into kind of a swamp, mm-hmm. um, urban swamp habit, habitat for yeah, water they, management. They had like a tremendous amount of property, right, in this mm-hmm. kind of Gentilly area. And so, yeah, I thought that I think that's a really that just goes to show you like just these connections in Louisiana, right? The six degrees of separation here. And ours includes nuns. Exactly. And resiliency. Exactly. <laughs> I think we can have a Sister Act remake that focuses on <laughs> nuns out there creating swamp <gasps> habitat. We could take them out to Carnarvon, have it flying, okay. the whole thing. We the, the wheels are spinning. I love it. I love it. It's a new day. It's a new decade. Also, this morning, I listened to Derek's, uh, Brock Banks. Um, he had the Capitol Beach podcast. Yes. And he was talking all about Gomesa and had Louisiana Senator Mary Landrieu on, former Senator Mary Landrieu on. It was very interesting. So it's funny when I listen to other podcasts. Yeah. And I mean, that's just 
just a plug for our partners at mm-hmm. the American Shoreline Podcast Network, mm-hmm. w- which distributes our yeah. show. Um, and they, you know, have a ton of shows that are on different coastal issues, you know, not just focused on Louisiana, but really focused around the country. And so we're great to be a part of that network and glad to see. you know how much see. I could learn if I listen to more podcasts? I know. You know, I could it's, be so much smarter. I t- toy with the idea of listening to podcasts at the gym, but it's just, it's not the same, yeah. you know? So if I did, I would probably consume. Although if you are going to listen to one podcast, highly recommend uh, Dolly Parton's America. <laughs> it is amazing. I mean, it's, you, I've learned, I mean, I'm a huge Dolly fan mm-hmm. and I have been for a long time. But I learned Joni Tuck, are you listening? So much <laughs> more than I had ever known about Dolly, you know, and she goes back to her kind of early days. Um, yeah, she was and, like poor, poor. Yeah. And then like kind of getting started and, and um, you know, just some of the st- stories behind the songs mm-hmm. that you never knew about. So it's, it's really well done. A great podcast. I like to think we started this whole podcast thing here. And so. Well, I saw you know. Quipra launched a podcast. <gasps> did they yes, really? They did. Interesting. Is their anniversary this year? That's just one of the many, many other things happening. It's also State of the Coast this year. And so I know that some abstracts were due tomorrow, maybe going to get a little extension till Monday. Right, exactly. So the State of the Coast conference is coming up uh, at, at the end of May. May. And if you are interested in presenting or being part of a, a panel, um, you have a day slash till Monday mm-hmm. uh, left to submit your abstract. So go to stateofthecoast.org to do that. Also on the Coalition to Restore Coastal Louisiana front, um, their stewardship award nominations mm-hmm. are due on um, the former 13th winner on right Monday. You're you, with a former you winner. did mm-hmm. win. I know. Very well deserving. Um, so if you know of any deserving nominees, please go to crcl.org by Monday and submit. Um, there are a number of categories. Right. I was going to say that there's lots of good categories for like youth and personal businesses, lifetime achievement. And they're really looking at, you know, also the anniversaries this year as mm-hmm. well. Uh, BP10 and Hurricanes Katrina and Rita and looking for standout individuals from mm-hmm. those as well. Yep. And, uh, you know, while we're giving you homework assignments, before we get to our guest in the second segment, You've got one day left to give public comment on the river reintroduction into more Swamp. I did it. Swamp. I took you action. Did. Good job. I sure did. So yeah, you can go um, to our website, MississippiRiverDelta.org slash take dash action. Um, and we have a letter to the Restore Council that's considering funding for that critical project. Um, we've had guests on in the past, mm-hmm. I believe Brad Miller mm-hmm. and others yeah. who talked about, you know, how it benefits the Morpaw Swamp. Um, really one of the most iconic, beautiful um, swamp habitats that's left in Louisiana it supports so many different types of wildlife and um, birds and, and pretty other. accessible right in between Baton Rouge and New Orleans oh, yeah and people go kayaking it. there mm-hmm. and, and boating um, and really beautiful and important for storm surge protection so this project seeking to protect and, and restore as much of that swamp as possible so but our listeners can take action pretty easily yeah all you have to do is go to mississippiriverdelta.org slash take dash action and um, yeah submit the comments and let it let the restore council know why that project's important to you in some of our friends do quite a bit of plantings out there, including Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation, and they had some upcoming plantings. I know between them and CRCL, some of it got canceled because of the weather, mm-hmm. but there's quite a few different events coming up that you can volunteer, too, if you want. Yeah, I think they were supposed to have some this um, weekend, but obviously we're going to have some nasty weather. But if you're interested, you can still participate at the end of the month. Did Margaret uh, tell you that we we're going to have nasty weather? Oh, I've weather? been watching. Mm-hmm. I, in fact, um, I have to say my New Year's Eve, I, was, I spent at home. <laughs> well, I, we went to dinner, and then went back home before midnight and Margaret was all over the broadcast um, for uh, New Year's Eve. It was wonderful. She had on 
It was a very like Stevie Nicks style uh, (laughs) outfit. Um, So yeah, I spent my, I like to think I spent my New Year's Eve with Margaret. Um, But anyway, back to the plantings. End of January, uh, January 25th, 29th, and February 29th um, out at the Carnarvon area. Um, help Lake Pontchartrain Basin plant 6,000 trees. Um, you can sign up. Uh, the the or- website is givepulse.com. 6,000? Goodness yeah. gracious. That's and if a lot. you um, search for Carnarvon Swamp Restoration, you can find the event. And then CRCL, they're doing it out at Manshack, which is near Moripaw. And that's January 24th and 25th. Um, and you can go to crcl.org to learn more. We could get the nuns out. That, they, they've done a lot, but, uh, you know, I think we need to ease them I mean, in. it's better than oyster shell bagging. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, we're so excited to be back with you and, you know, be jumping into another year. Um, we'll be back after the break. We're going to be talking about some updates yeah. um, with a former guest, Brad Barth with CPRA. Mm-hmm. He's going to be talking about sediment diversions and, you know, some of the latest and greatest um, with some of those projects. So looking forward to catching up with him and also looking ahead to what's happening in 2020. Yeah, yeah. There was a recent article that came out this week that kind of highlighted some results that actually happened right before the break. So it's, this is a great way to kick off our year with Brad. And so we're looking forward to having him on after the break. Um, but we'll take that break right now. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990. We'll be right back back. National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website, nwf.org Louisiana, to find out more about our work to restore and protect coastal Louisiana for generations to come. National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. nwf.org slash Louisiana. Hi, I'm Don Cheadle. Listen up. I want to talk to you about something important, the Environmental Defense Fund. EDF isn't like some of the other environmental groups. EDF works together with those on both sides of the issue. Despite all the fighting in Washington, EDF has found ways for both parties to support real progress. That has made our air and water cleaner and the products in our homes safer. So not only can our planet prosper, so can our future. Go to edf.org to see how you can help. At Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy, Audubon, Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems, focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's biological diversity. Visit la.audubon.org to learn more and support our mission. la.audubon.org. Restore Retreat is a coastal nonprofit organization working in the heart of the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, from the Mississippi River to the Atchafalaya. We work every day to restore Louisiana's coast community and culture with our mission of implementing long-term and large-scale projects for our irreplaceable region. We'll hope you join us in supporting the solution. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.restoreorretreat.org. 
And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM, always available online at deltadispatches.org. We've got over 100 episodes for you to catch up on. Um, and I am Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. And I'm Simone Malas trying to operate the phone. <laughs> <laughs> Some things never change. It's 2020. I'm this over here like, 2020. what? <laughs> um, so Simone, speaking of things never changing, would you like to give us our coastal stat of the week? Sure. Yes. Um, you are you are just challenging Uh-oh. me to be on the game. Yes. The coastal stat of the week. At its maximum flow, the mid-barataria sediment diversion will spew. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I was on it for a second. <laughs> will spew 40,000 tons of sand, silt, and clay per day into the basin. That's equivalent to as many as 4 million sediment basketballs per day. I mean, who, I'm gonna start. Who I'm, did the calculation on that? I'm gonna I mean, start doing. Cool. I'm gonna start doing this show doc and making you say words like <laughs> spew and sediment <laughs> basketballs. That sounds like something Brad Barth came up with, but we'll have to we'll have to figure that out. Um, but speaking of, we do have Brad Barth on the phone. We've had Brad on before in studio in person. We had Brad on one time when he was driving across the country with his yes! parents, I believe, to see the grandparents. Brad, are you on? I am on. It was my parents. I was relocating in Toledo to Tucson, remember? Yes. And he still took the time to call into our show. Yes, good man. How are they doing in Tucson? They're doing great. They're loving it over there. They're loving that high desert, and I just had them in for the holidays. Nice. So speaking of holidays, you run a little farm out where you live. How is the Barth Compound Farm working these days? The compound was just fine. If we can just keep the coyotes away, we'd be in good shape. Oh, those dang coyotes, huh? So when your parents come in and you have you have children that are of working age, right, you also had extra guests to help you run, run the Barth Farm? Oh, always, always. We always got a little extra labor. So do you strap the grandbaby on and and go with the grandbaby to do work? How how does this happen? Like, do you have, like, little overalls and grandbaby has little overalls? We must discuss. No, I think we stuck to more, like, pajama suits with uh, monster ears and, and googly eyes and stuff like onesies, that. Onesies, that kind of stuff. Of that. Yeah, onesies and stuff, yes. So, Brad, um, welcome back. We were talking about how we have just dived into 2020 in so many ways, and I'm sure that's the same for you. So how's your year going so far? Man, I tell you what, we started off with a bang with a busy, busy week already this week. So it, uh, we're, we're no shortage of getting right back to work here with the new year. So did... Um... Did you the article the week started out with an article by Mark Schlefstein from NOLA um, dot com, but he y'all, that was something that you had talked about previously at a board meeting at CPRA, but had been talking about in the community too. So let's talk about a little bit about that. In terms of the basketball, yeah, the, ba- the spewing bas- sediment basketballs, yes, <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, you know we had some uh, had heard of a spot from I think it was USGS and and we really liked how they how they kind of put it into terms that folks could maybe digest a little bit better because when you're talking tons or you're talking cubic yards that's that's hard for me to imagine and so and I'm a civil engineer so it uh, it was at the time of March Madness and so basketballs just seemed to make sense and that's kind of how we uh, we converted some of the numbers to give people an idea on, on in terms of tonnage of sediment that is potentially working for us. 
So I guess let's let's backtrack just a second, Brad. Tell us about your role at CPRA as operations assistant administrator. Tell us what that entails and like maybe what one day looks like to you. <laughs> well, my role has kind of changed a little bit since I started at CPRA. So, um, you know, in the operations group, we're, we're heavily involved with the, with the design and construction of flood control projects uh, for coastal Louisiana and, and the levees and, and so forth. Um, but with the upstart of the diversion program, um, that's really where I came in to be in terms of kind of switching over to manage and direct um, the diversion program, and then both individual projects, Barataria Sediment Diversion and Breton Sediment Diversion. So my day is 110% involved with overall program management for both projects, from our internal PM staff um, to um, the design contractor to the construction contractor to uh, invoices to uh, getting folks under contract, you name it. Uh, to politics and, and coordinating with local officials, um, you name it, with a diversion, we're, we're, we're involved with it. So, Brad, um, you know, let's talk a little bit about kind of the news that Simone was referencing and also look ahead to 2020, particularly for the Mid-Barataria Sediment Diversion. So um, that's a project that has received a lot of attention. Um, but for folks who, you know, maybe they haven't heard much about it, um, can you give us a little bit of the backstory what is the Mid-Barataria Sediment Diversion? Where is it slated to be, and, and why is it necessary? Yeah, so the good question. So Mid-Barataria Sediment Diversion, it's, it's a project we're looking to do. It's one of our tools in the toolbox that we're using to restore our coast. So it's really there to uh, break the cycle of getting sediment, nutrients, and fresh water out into our basins that are starved. Um, and this project is on the West Bank. It's located roughly at River Mile 61, just north of the small town of Ironton, Louisiana. And it, it will uh, be a gravity-operated structure, so a passive structure that uses the power of the river, you know, just what the river can give us in terms of river power and sediment and nutrients to distribute that sediment out into the Barataria Basin. So this this idea has been around for a little while too, though, right? And and Brad, this is the you know kind of a uh, it's been around for a really long time, and this is kind of the latest and strongest iteration of it called Mid Barataria, which means that it's like officially in this process of becoming a real project in the ground. Yeah, I mean, so a, a diversion project or this type of structure is nothing new to. The engineering community, we've been doing it for years in terms of the engineering community. You can look at other um, other diversions or other spillways or other structures that may have a different purpose, but a lot of similarities in terms of how you would design such a structure. So you can look at the Morganza. You can look at the Bonacary. You can look at the old river complex where we, where we split the water and sediment to, to maintain the flow between the two lower rivers. Chafalaya and and um, and the Mississippi. So not a new concept. Uh, maybe a, a new concept in terms of purpose and how we manage sediment, um, but not, but not much new on terms of the engineering behind it. And there's some real kind of examples of not maybe something that has a structure, but these kind of areas, these mini deltas or deltas that are being built here in Louisiana like strengthening that connection back from the river to the wetlands that it was cut off from. 
Yeah, so you can see really good examples of um, crevasses that um, um, really in some areas that if the crevasse never existed, we would be overall a net loss of land um, in areas that now um, we're seeing on a year-in, year-out basis a positive net gain of land. Um, if you look at the Fort St. Philip area, that's a classic one. Um, there's been some studies by, by the Corps that maybe left off in the, in the 2008 time frame. But if you look at that time frame from the end of that study to, to current in the 2017 area, we've seen another 1,100 acres roughly uh, be net gain in those areas from that continued deposition of that crevasse. So, Brad, um, I mean, essentially we're trying to maintain and build as and much sustain, land right? as yeah. possible mm-hmm. in, in these areas that are really vulnerable um, and kind of some of the modeling you've seen has shown that there will be substantial land gain. So tell us a little bit about what you're expecting once the diversion's up and running. Yeah, so it's, you know, like you talked about the stat um, that was in the article in NOLA.com. Um, on average, uh, on a, if you use an average number, it might be closer to 30,000 tons a day uh, in terms of the sediment from considering a, a really heavy flood season year versus maybe um, not so bad of a flood season year um, when you look at that. And that's a lot of tonnage per day. And when you kind of look at that number of what a, a project the size of a diversion can do, it really comes down to um, sea level rise is, is one of the key important factors in, in terms of looking at how much land we can build. If we have a really, really favorable sea level rise, we could easily be pushing 30,000, 40,000 acres of land over a 50-year time frame. If the sea level rise comes in a little bit um, higher than, than what we, that we anticipated or what we're planning for, then we may be down more in the 10,000, 15,000 acres. I mean, that's thou- tens of thousands yeah. of acres of land that's being built and maintained, which is pretty huge. So we want to talk a little bit more about some of the early modeling results that you've released um, and, and just kind of catch up on some of the other big projects. Um, we're about to head into a break, but if you stick with us, we'll be back um, talking to Brad Barth from CPRA on Delta Dispatches. We'll be right back after the break. On the ASPN Network, coastal news for the pelagic-minded. And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. And I'm Simone Malaz with Restore or Retreat. And we're back with Brad Barth, Operations Assistant Administrator for the Louisiana's Coastal Protection and Restoration Authority. Welcome back to Delta Dispatches, Brad. Thanks. So we were, let's continue to dig in because we have a lot to talk about. So you were talking about some of the land building um, of the Mid-Baratarius sediment diversion and and really seeing, you know, up to 30,000 acres of land built over time. Um, you know, that's really impressive. A lot of times we hear from people, well, you know, that sediment diversions take a while. You know, why don't they just dredge and pump, um, you know, to build land? We see that happen in different places. And you all did a comparison, right, to look at dredging or marsh creation versus sediment diversion. So tell us a little bit about that comparison. Yeah, so we... If, if you remember back in, I'm going to say probably July of 2018, we did a presentation down at the board meeting in Lafitte, Louisiana, 
we had looked really strongly at um, our dredging program, especially focusing on dredging from the river. So when we dredge from the river, uh, we need to strategically locate those dredges on, on point bars to where we can actually dredge and, and mine the sand from the bars. And so there's only specific locations where we're allowed to go take that material because we cannot jeopardize uh, the navigation industry or the flood protection for our levee system that protects our citizens and our communities. So with that, we're limited in where we can take material from uh, in terms of beneficially using that in that mid-basin area. And then when we do that, um, we can access millions of yards, but that still takes time and effort there to pump it. And then as we look at those pump distances, the, the price of diesel fuel really, really kind of drives that equation, how, how far uh, you can do that successfully and how much it's going to cost to build an acre of land. And so when you look at that, if you look at long-distance sediment pipeline as an example, over about a 10-year stretch, we built about 1,100, uh, 1,500 acres of land. And so one of the things we presented was kind of overlay of that area that we built over a stretch of about 10 years um, because of only so many bars we can borrow from before we deplete those bars and they have to wait for them to fill back up from the natural cycle of the river. Uh, when you overlay that with a diversion, so you're talking about a, a really an economy of scale or magnitude difference in terms of thousands of acres or hundreds of acres for dredging projects from the river to tens of thousands of acres from the power of a diversion. Um, because when it's operating, you're sending sand, silt, and clay the whole time it's operating versus a small little dredge pipe from a one specific point bar in the river. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you talked about scale, and I mean, we kind of really need things that match the scale of the amount of land we're losing and make continue to lose in the future. Um, and is it accurate to say it's not just, I mean, with sediment diversions, you're not just getting sand, but you're getting other materials as well that's important for building land? Yeah, it's different sediment sources. So when we mine the sand from the river, we're only mining the sand that's been deposited or the bed load sand that's on the bottom that's been deposited. Um, a diversion, though, is able to mine the bed load sand as it moves. It's also able to capture the, um, the suspended sands, the su suspended silts, and the suspended clays, which is a significant amount of material in the river. In fact, that fraction is probably 80 or 90 percent of what's suspended in the river during the flood season. So um, it's really a, a brand new sediment source that we have not tapped into yet, and it has a great potential in terms of that power and the amount and quantity that's available to us. And Brad, it's also going to help sustain projects, right? Sustain dredging and sustain other projects in the area, right? This reconnection. Yeah, so it has multiple benefits there. We've looked at it in terms of, for example, long-distance sediment pipeline corridor, where we got brand-new marsh over the last 10, 15 years. Uh, with the diversion online, we, we, we believe that that diversion will be able to feed additional nutrients, additional sediment, those silts and those clays, and that fresh water to help sustain and maintain what's there. Because with a dredge project, we can instantly go put it on the map. But as soon as we put it on the map, it immediately starts deteriorating and losing ground with sea level rise and subsidence, wave action, and so forth. So it's immediately 
already degrading and, and, and decreasing, whereas with a sediment diversion, you're building from the bottom up. So that's one of the things why, you know, it's building. You may not see it. It may be underwater in terms of what it's building, but eventually it's going to break through that, that water surface that we see out in the basin of the bay and then get above that natural bay water surface where it builds positive land that you can put your eyes on. And that's, that's one of the biggest differences there in, in dredging versus a diversion. Dredging, we're always going to see about a 20-year life out of those projects before physically we have to go reinvest the capital to rebuild that project or relift that project with more sediment because it's settled, it's subsided, it's washed away. Yeah, I mean, it's just, that's the whole idea behind like the systemic change, right? I mean, if we keep doing the same thing that we've been doing and don't change what caused the problem, we're going to end up in the same place, right? And we, we don't have as much resources related to time, money, or even natural resources to keep doing that. And so we have to change something big and important, or we're going to find ourselves in the same situation that we are now and have been 10 years ago, 20 years ago, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's just more than that, Jim, just the marsh creation projects that we build. Think about all the different levy projects the state mm-hmm. and the federal government has invested in in the last 10, 20 years with histers, the NOV, New Orleans, the Venice system, uh, millions and billions of, billions of dollars of money invested in these systems to where the more, I always call it the more green stuff we can put between our barrier islands and our levees, the better protected we're going to protect those investments of the levies that we've just spent the money on. Uh, we reduce the tidal flux, we reduce the wave action, and help protect the infrastructure that we just heavily invested in. So, Brad, uh, I want to shift gears a little bit um, and talk about another topic as it relates to the version that people are very interested in, and that is salinities. So, what did your modeling show in terms of how the diversion changes salinities? Yeah, so salinities, obviously, um, with the diversion, um, during the peak of flood season, um, a, a lot of fresh water is the delivery mechanism for that sediment and, and those nutrients. Um, one thing we've, we've tried to transmit and disseminate to folks is that it, it is a crescendo or, or as far as how it occurs. So as the river increases in stage, the diversion flow would increase as well. So when we talk about a 75,000 CFS diversion, that's really only at the max flood stage that we would see in the river at the 1.0 million CFS or the 1.25 million CFS. Um, So we do see with that that fresh water from our diversion, we see a freshening during the flood season uh, in the Barataria Basin. Um, And this is normally a time in the Barataria Basin where we do see freshening already from the influence of the river um, albeit here with, with the diversion a bit more. Um, but what we do see is that as we ramp down from diversion operation, you see a quick return to historical fall patterns in that estuary condition. And even when we're running in the spring of the flood time months, we see that estuary gradient from where the diversion is located to the Grand Isles of the world, uh, where you see that gradient of fresh is salty uh, that's representative of an estuary. Yeah, and I think one of the things that I found interesting in the presentation, and I think uh, Mark Schlefstein pointed out in his article, was even without diversions, I mean, salinities in Barataria Basin are going to change drastically, mm-hmm. correct? And that's going to have huge implications. So 
Um, so one time we were we were working with the diversion group, and it was like a, a consulting technical group that came in to do some help. And one of the guys just said, "So you're paying for control, right?" And and sometimes, Brad, we don't have control of what's happening in the basin right now, right? And last year was a good example of that. Yeah, last year's a, a good example. Um, but you're right on in terms of um, without a diversion, what what do things look like? And we know that. We're fighting, we're fighting multiple uh, mechanisms that's leading to the demise of our marshlands. We're fighting uh, man-made canal activity. We're fighting uh, shoreline erosion. We're fighting tidal flux kind of tearing apart the interior of the marsh. We're fighting that saltwater intrusion. We're fighting sea level rise. We're fighting subsidence. So all those things uh, break it up from the, from the inside out. And with that, that allows more tidal flux. It allows more salt water to move to the north. Um, and the more that happens, the more that salt water is going to push in and remove more of that estuarine condition, reduce the amount of, of fresh, brackish, intermediate marsh that we have available in our basin, reduce the amount of essential fish habitat, and for all the creatures and critters that need that estuarine condition, to grow up and grow into the adults and, and so forth and move out to sea. Yep. It, and we've talked about this many times before, and, and I guess every now and then we just reconvince ourselves, right, that, that going back to the way it was before, the best that we can, um, is, is a great approach, right? So we want to talk about, uh, Brad, if you'll stick with us just for a little while longer, we want to talk about the project that's targeted for the other side of the river called Mid-Breton. You mind sticking with us? I sure will. Great. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990. We'll be right back. From the bottom of the Marianas Trench, this is ASPN, the American Shoreline Podcast Network. News for the pelagic-minded. And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. And I'm Simone Malaz with Restore or Retreat. And it is time for our Coastal Voice of the Week, the first Coastal Voice of the Week of 2020. And it is from this Laura is 2020. in West Monroe. How long? How many episodes can we keep saying that? <laughs> Everyone. Yeah. Um, and Laura says, Laura from West Monroe says, the coast is very important for our state now and for our descendants. And, and I agree, Laura. And um, you can go and share your voice of the week anytime at RestoreTheCoast.org. In fact, I don't think, did we talk about the I know, I was just thinking about that. We, yes. You know, it was the end of the year. It's December, worth talking about again. Coastal Protection Restoration Authority board meeting. We had seven youth coastal advocates go to the board Great meeting. Great coastal advocates. Amazing. And present to the board um, our Restore the Coast, Protect Their Future book. And they shared some of the, the responses that we've received on our map. So, um, you know, definitely go on the map, check out all the responses we've received, submit your own, and we'll keep using them, keep letting people know why the coast is important to you. I wonder how those little girls did that were home studying. I bet they got all For A's. the exams, yeah. probably got all A's. <laughs> Hundreds in spelling. Um, Brad, we do have a very critical piece of important business that um, we have to take care of before we wrap up some of the discussion on Mid-Barataria and then just stick our toe in Mid-Breton. Um, you know what yeah. it is. You know what it's coming. There were suggestions made and wildfire via email today. But Brad Barth, what is your walk-up song? <laughs> well, I've heard anything from Bad Boys to uh, Inter Sandman <laughs> to... Uh, 
Well, that's why I'm letting you choose. I'm letting you choose since all your friends made made suggestions for you. (laughs) You know, there's a pretty funny thing. If you could probably Google it on, like, YouTube where somebody does the immigrant song with a rubber chicken, that's pretty funny. (laughs) Brad, I I didn't understand until all that that you were quite the metal dude, too, by the way. (laughs) But I do do hear bad boys, like, when I I was reading that line in the email, what you gonna do, what you gonna do. So, um, so we'll let I've you have pretty, that. I've been pretty fortunate. My 13-year-old daughter loves Hair Nation on, um, <laughs> on satellite radio. Well, it's it's funny because we often kind of uh, pair you up with Rudy Semino, who's often been on this show, right? And we kind of have this ongoing list of like people's walk-up songs, right? And his is just hilarious. He was um, uh, Tutti Fruity. <laughs> <laughs> Tootie Fruity. Oh, Rudy. And I mean, super funny. And then if if you haven't heard this story, it bears repeating in 2020. Um, Bren Haas said his was um, Fancy by Reba McIntyre. So that's, I mean, it's amazing what you learn from people when you you ask them what their walk-up songs are. But Brad, we want to just close out some of the discussion on Midbury Terry because this is a big year for you guys. So tell us like in the decision-making process what you're looking forward to in 2020. So in, in 2020, um, we're, we're working through the 30% engineering and design, and then very shortly we'll be rolling into the 60% and coordinating with the core on the detailed engineering design. At the same time, we're quickly approaching uh, the draft EIS stage, and we really want to encourage um, the folks in Louisiana to, to, to participate in that draft EIS process um, and, and get out there for those meetings and so forth and, and get their input, review the document, um, see what the Corps has put together with a third-party contractor in terms of evaluating the, the conditions out in the basin historically, evaluating what uh, the state is proposing to build, and then the alternatives and then impact analysis, and then from there, you know, impacts that are identified and then how we how we avoid, minimize, and mitigate those impacts. We're really, this is really an exciting time for us because we're moving into that that phase of the project where we're really trying to get to the point where we're making some decisions to get closer to construction. But there's still a heck of a lot of work to do to get there. Yeah, and I mean, that's hugely important because we know people have a lot of questions, you know, about this project. Um, they, there's a lot of information that, that they're seeking, and you all are actively you know, modeling, doing analysis, and that's going to continue, right? So, um, you know, would, would your message be to people that might have questions about this project or might, you know, want to seek out information? Um, are there opportunities for them to to still get involved and, and, and ask those questions? Oh, well, certainly, certainly. We, we do think we still are doing our coastal connections where we try to make it down into the the Plaquemines Parish, the Jefferson Parish, the St. Bernard Parish areas in terms of uh, typically on a monthly basis to get down there to update anybody who wants to come out. We kind of have open office hours either. Sometimes we do it in the afternoon. Sometimes we do it in the evening to make sure anybody who can't get off work early enough or, or has a job that doesn't allow them to and they need more of an evening hour scenario. So we try to get out there for that. To, to, if anybody has questions, they can come ask us. Um, obviously, we have information available on our website, coastal.la.gov. And if you go down to the middle banner, all the way down towards the bottom, 
you'll be able to see the Mississippi River Mid-Basin Sediment Diversion Program and click on that, and it'll take you to some information. And, um, and, and that's how you can kind of get in touch with us. We do a lot of posts on social media about our events as well to attend as well. So um, that's how you can kind of reach out and get some more information about the project. So um, that's very helpful to know, and we'll continue to remind people as these milestones get closer. Um, but I also, while we have you, want to shift gears a little bit and talk about um, the East Bank of Plaquemines Parish, because we know um, mm. it's here we go. Sean's going to talk about to my heart. Yes. Um, but there is another project on the East Bank that's a sediment diversion. So tell us about Mid Breton and where that is, um, and kind of any big milestones coming up in 2020 for Mid Breton. Yeah, so Mid-Breton, um, a little bit further up the river, about seven miles, at River Mile 68 in Bertrandville, just, just kind of just south of the Braithwaite Community Center, not too far south of there. Um, so obviously on the east bank, again, um, sediment diversion with the maximum capacity of 75,000 CFS. Um, 2020 is going to be real interesting for us on this side of the river. This project's a little bit different stage. So this project is about... Um, we really started this project from scratch, from, from basically zero engineering and design and analysis, where it's a brand new project to us, basically. Uh, there had been some previous versions in the past um, with the Corps of Engineers and so forth, but it's really a brand new project for us. And with that, we're going to reach our 15% milestone. And with that 15% milestone, we're going to have where on the river the project's located, the, you know, the approximate width of the, of the project, and, and a lot of the pieces and parts of the project. If you heard me speak before, we've always talked about the pieces and parts. What's the inlet look like? What's the gate complex look like? Um, the channel complex out to the basin, the outfall feature. Um, this one, we do not have a railroad on this side, but we have Louisiana Highway 39 that we have to uh, look at relocating. So. Um, components there of how we um, bring that highway up and over the structure or over the project, um, how we maintain that traffic um, during construction of the project. Um, obviously, a hurricane evacuation route, that's real critical and important to maintain that traffic. So this is a really exciting time for us because first quarter-ish, um, starting the second quarter, we're looking really looking forward to being able to present some of those updated features and all those pieces and parts and what Breton kind of looks like. And that'll be really the first snapshot that folks have seen of the Breton project. Brad, how do you keep that all straight? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I, I have the utmost confidence that you do. Trust me, I do. <laughs> but it's just like, I love how much you know and how much you're willing to share. And I know when I asked you what your day looks like, I, I do know a little bit about what that looks like, that, you know, you could do anything from talking to the Knights of Columbus, right, to being in these meetings <laughs> with these con contractors talking about the 88 different kind of piling types that you can have. I've heard you talk about that before. I have. So, yeah, um, yeah. We are lucky to have you on the Coastal Team. CPRA is lucky to have you as well. And we're so glad that you have been a guest on our show today. Uh, you have to come back um, later on. We'll talk, um, you know, later on this year, we can talk more about Mid-Breton as some of those things kick off and talk about some of those Mid-Barataria results. So thank you for being on, Brad. Happy New Year. Well, thank you for having me, guys.
Thanks, Brad. And here's to successful 2020. This is 2020. This is 2020. Um, well, congrats, Simone. First show of the year. Down. Episode one. Can we just start yeah, over starting again? Starting over because uh, <laughs> we lost count. But no, um, thank you all for listening. And a reminder, go catch up on the prior episodes, deltadispatches.org. And take action on Morapah. Take action on Morapah. Go to mississippiriverdelta.org slash take dash action. You've got a day left to do that. Um, and we'll be back with some more great shows ahead in 2020. <laughs>